comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to The Black Box. ago on the black box podcast i had this incredible artist and creator on the show and we had talked about her comic valkyrie squadron now she has returned to the black box podcast to talk about her latest project actually her second installment of her latest project the project is called misfortune high and uh, the second installment will have a kickstarter Um, by the time this podcast airs that kickstarter will be available and we are here not only to talk about the kickstarter per se we're also here to talk about the the creation of misfortune high uh, the characters of misfortune high the process of making misfortune high and i can't do that without our very special guest ladies and gentlemen the one and only jules rivera jules how you doing Hi, I am happy to be here. I thank you for coming back onto the show. This has been a long time in the making. Originally, Jules was, was supposed to be on the show during her original Misfortune High Kickstarter. Um, some, some of you may remember the uh, Kickstarter sponsorships uh, that um, that aired on the Black Box podcast not too long ago. And we were supposed to follow up with the interview, but scheduling issues happened. But that's okay, because we are... We're doing this interview right now because you've got a new Kickstarter coming up for the second installment of Misfortune High. Now, for the people that don't know what Misfortune High is all about, can you clue them in on what it is about? Okay, well, Misfortune High, it's uh, it's the story of a rich kid who goes to a fancy magic school. It's like a wizard world of, uh, you know, magic and whatnot. And... Uh, he gets, he's like this um, kind of spoiled guy, and he gets expelled from this magic school for cheating. So as punishment, his father sends him to a magic school in the ghetto. And it's all about him trying to weasel his way out of this magic school through a bunch of really mad caption shenanigans and crazy stuff. Okay. Now, that character that has to move to this um, you know, school in the ghetto is a kid by the name of Will Bixford. And Will Bixford is, mm, how can I say this? A lot of people say he's Draco Malfoy, but with who's slightly less jerky. There like a go. less jerky Draco Malfoy. That's what people <laughs> say. Yes, he, he, he still has his weaselish qualities, um, but nowhere near as, as near as far as Draco does. Now, it's not only Will Bixford. Will Bixford serves as the main character of Misfortune High, but there are also other characters within Misfortune High as well. Can you elaborate on some of those characters that make up the world of Misfortune High? Okay. Um, for Misfortune High, I kind of tightened down the cast a little bit because Valkyrie Squadron's cast was enormous and it kind of got out of control writing the thing, trying to incorporate everybody. So really there are um, four other major characters that you're going to see in Misfortune High. Um, the first character that you're most likely to see is Star. Star is this, uh, you know, she's kind of this uh, very nice, well-meaning girl. And uh, she sees that Biscuit is being bullied at the school. Uh, Will Bixford, his, his nickname is Biscuit. So she sees Biscuit being bullied and she says, oh, my gosh, that kid's getting, you know, somebody's beating up that kid. We've got to save him. 
And uh, the second, and she's very well-meaning. She's very saintly. She likes to help people, but um, her her kindness is a little bit misplaced in Biscuit. And she's her character arc is kind of learning um, when not to save somebody. Um, the next guy you would meet is Warren. Warren is the voice of Reason. He is uh, Star's older brother, and he's the one who is always he was not really encouraging her to associate with Biscuit. His idea is just to keep her head down so you can survive living in this crazy school because he's made it to senior year, which is kind of an accomplishment for a lot of the kids in this school. Um, so yeah, so he's the voice of Reason. He's also very very snarky. Oh, I mean, he's like Mister Sarcasm, always kind of a naysayer but he does it because it's self-preservation survival instincts um the next person you would meet is uh sonia sonia is a a very kind of bubbly artistic kind of girl and she's very sweet until she's not um she's very capable of telling somebody off if somebody is picking on one of her friends so you see that later on in chapter one and um Finally, the uh, last character you would meet is the anti-hero of the series, Johnny Cuervo. Johnny is a um, he's a guy who generally kind of hates life in this school, and his situation is made all the worse when his locker is situated next to Biscuit, and uh, Biscuit says something horribly, horribly racist to him, and a lot of the uh, rivalry between him and Biscuit starts right there. <laughs> so... Um, because, I, I, I mean, he was he would have been an easy character to show as like, oh, he's just a thug, blah, blah, blah. But I just kind of wanted to paint a different side of the usual thug that, you know, maybe he's kind of got some stuff going on in his life. And maybe he's got a reason for, you know, calling you out as being a bad person. So it's easy to label him as a bully, but he's he's the misunderstood character. In, in doing something like that and in making a story like this, um, especially like with characters like Biscuit and Johnny, Sonya, Star and Warren, with, Bic- with Biscuit being the focus, um, a lot of people have made fish out of water stories. Sure. And But the thing is, is that your story is a little bit different because... Now, some people, when they've written uh, fish out of water stories, they've done them from personal experiences. But yours comes from a personal experience that is also integrated within the story. Um, in your foreword for the making of Misfortune High, uh, you talk about that uh, you did not go to a fancy high school. And, oh, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and um, can you tell can you tell me a little bit about your experiences um, at the high school that you went to in Florida that influenced you to create this book? Well, in uh, in the high school that I went to in Florida, it's um it's considered one of the not great schools in Orlando, or at least it was last time I checked. But it was also not like one of the super hardcore ghetto ones that you would see in like movies and stuff, where you know you have metal detectors everywhere. And it wasn't that dramatic. It was just it was a demoralizing experience because they in the school in general they didn't really have. I mean, the administration didn't have that many expectations for you. They just their job was to shuffle you through to the community college. That was that was basically their job. And uh, I kind of wanted more than that. And I didn't feel like I got a lot of help or uh, pushing into doing something other than get shuffled over to the uh, local community college, which uh, which was not great. Um, you know, it was it was 40 percent Hispanic, as I recall. It um, 
you know, so it actually it's kind of funny. George W. Bush, the second Bush president, he actually came to our school as a uh, as a bid to try and get the Latino vote on his uh, side. And I don't think anybody told him that high schoolers aren't old enough to vote. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the deal was with that, but it just that just really got me annoyed because he was interrupting my chemistry class. (laughs) Right. I mean, total nerd material right there. He's interrupting my chemistry class. I can't chemistricize. (laughs) He's interrupting me. So, yeah, I mean, the the bottom line is it's a place that just really didn't have very high expectations. Everybody's kind of divided on these kind of racial and class lines because there were a few, uh, I guess, um, upper class is not really the right word for it. There were a few kids in the school who whose parents were not super working class. I remember one of the guys in my uh, in my honors classes, his dad was a lawyer, which begs the question what the hell he was doing at my school or whatever. Um (laughs) You know, but the slightly less middle class kids, there there was a divide, and um, and you know, it was just it was just kind of a cruddy place. So you get to so a few years later, you know, you got Harry Potter, it's a big book sensation. It was actually starting to be a book sensation when I was in high school, actually. Um, but it becomes the giant media explosion in about two thousand and one. So I'm watching Harry Potter. I'm thinking, man. How come they don't show magic schools like, you know, magic school in like a bad neighborhood? Because there are other magic stories that uh, that go around and, you know, they show you kids in school and it's we're all learning magic tricks and stuff. You got uh, properties like the worst witch um, magic users club. That's an anime. It's always the best school that you go to, especially if you watch a lot of anime. Most of the time, those kids were always going to the best, best, best school. Right. So I, I wanted to start telling a story from just the other angle where, you know, you just see these kids in this not so great situation. And uh, I mean, you're supposed to be learning magic, but it's kind of it's kind of subverting the whole magic story thing and just taking it to a different angle. Right. I think. It's, it's a piece of the story, but it's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. I mean, Misfortune High, even though there's a you know, it's got the overall theme of class warfare. It's still a very character-driven story. Mm-hmm. It's the actions of the characters that are driving the plot, as opposed to some big systematic thing. Right, right, right. It's not that it's it's not that it's dangerous minds for Harry <laughs> Potter fans. It's you know it's it's more than that. You know what I mean? Because I think yeah. I think if somebody just heard the term misfortune high and you gave like the quick pitch, they would say they would probably think, oh, it's it's dangerous minds for a new generation. But it's it's not sure. that. It's deeper than that. Um, well, I mean, I, I think little kind of canned pitches like that that you can say in three seconds, it's a way to get people interested in the book and go, oh, that's kind of cool. Just get them to read it. And if right. they find more stuff beyond that, cool. Right. <laughs> All right by me. Yes. No, no. That No, that is cool. That That's fine. But I just but sometimes I think when when we do those quick pitches, like a lot of people like, oh, OK, that sounds cool. Let me read it. And they read it. And they're like, oh, OK, nice. But there's some people that think if you say it's this meets this, they think it's got this and this in it. If you know what I mean, they, they just yeah. they just um, take things at, at basic um, at basic value, and they don't open up uh, they don't open up their minds a little bit further. But that's okay. Uh, but that's okay. Getting them to read it is what matters most. The one thing that got me in reading the first book 
and in reading the making of when you talked about also in your forward. And this is really key to the story is that and you say this, you say, I made this book because I wanted to send a message to kids who grew up like I did in crappy places, in crappy schools where the morale is low. Just because the property values in your neighborhood are, are low doesn't mean your personal worth is too. That, I think, that could be, you know, you could use that for like the almost the entire comics in uh, business um, and in the creation of things because like it's such a difficult grind to, you know, make your spot in comics, to make your spot in art, to make your spot in graphic design. It's such it's such a work because there's so much there's so much noise, there's so much volume, there's so much out there. And some of us, and we all we've all gone through this where yes, we're persistent, we're determined, and we want to create and we do create and and the more we create the better we get at it, hopefully. But there's still those moments where you feel <clears throat> excuse me. Where sometimes you may feel not as strong or not as or you may feel so much smaller than what you actually are because of everything that's out there. And I and I, and I think there are some similarities between the two. I mean, it's really easy to feel like you're just a little fish in a very, very big ocean. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean. You just have, I mean, I hate to coin the cliche of, you have to believe in yourself, but you really do, because there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in you, who think that because you came from such and such circumstances, or because you're only capable of doing such and such work, you know, that you can't reach any kind of potential beyond that. And that's, I mean, part of my message. I guess my overall uh, theme, I guess my overall artistic message, message as an artist, is that, no, you can overcome these barriers. You know, you don't have to let what people say get in your in the way of what you want. Yes, I agree. I agree. Now, in the development of Misfortune High, um, originally the concept had started. You said it started years ago before uh, Valkyrie Squadron. And, it did, yeah. And <clears throat> so now, originally, you just you say you had a concept and. Can we talk a little bit about the process? Because I think sometimes, like in the creation of comics, some people feel that when it comes to comics and art and things like that, stuff's just made without a process. And oh, that's not the case at all. Oh no, <laughs> exactly. There is a process, and in creating Misfortune High, there was a very long process to this, and it actually started um, back in. Um, let's see, according to and once again going back to the making of Misfortune High's reference. Uh, going back to like 2012, um, when you were when you were pitching um, when you were pitching ideas to indie publishers and whatnot, can you talk about a little bit of the process between what Misfortune High started out as and and how you were able to turn it into um, your first Kickstarter? Okay, well, um, it started off with uh, me collaborating with another writer because he comes to me and he says. Hey, you know, Jules, uh, you're really you're a really cool writer, and I like your work. Maybe we should collaborate on something. So I say, okay. I've had this con, like I said, I've had this concept swimming around in my head in some kind of primordial ooze form for quite a while now. So, um, so you know, I'm just, uh, I just figure, okay, well, you know, he's asking me about my ideas. Maybe I can float him the idea of Misfortune High, which wasn't the uh, project title at the time. Um, so. He's like, yeah, this is a cool idea. This is a cool idea. And I get to get around to pitching it to the publisher at Comic-Con. And they look at it. They're like, yeah, this is okay. But yeah, whatever. I mean, it was just kind of a, 
wasn't met with a whole lot of enthusiasm. It wasn't a straight, oh my gosh, this is terrible, but it wasn't a huge amount of enthusiasm. But by this point, I had already spent, uh, I guess, a week or two making development sketches and bouncing ideas back and forth with this other writer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was starting to become, you know, more of a thing. You know, it started to become more of a living being in my head rather than just oh, that might be a cool idea, maybe, in the future sometime. The future was now. <laughs> so um, so it had, uh, I mean, it really takes collaboration sometimes to build these ideas into light. And when you start spitballing ideas and just brainstorming, sometimes you come up with some really cool stuff, which is what happened here. So, um, like I said, the publisher was pretty lukewarm about it, and things eventually fell by the wayside after Comic-Con. Um, there wasn't a lot of communication after that, but I thought this story is good. It has become something really good, and and I don't want to let it drop just because you know things aren't going the way I want them to with this publisher. So um, I just decided to keep going with the idea, and uh, and yeah, so I kept developing the story ideas. By the time I'd gotten to Comic Con, I already knew what the story arc was going to be. But as I, uh, you know, started writing out the script and I kept, you know, driving the project and drilling it down, um, it, it stored, you know, more ideas developed there because, you know, you'll just have what I like to call shower moments. Yes. In the shower. And then you're like, oh, my God, I have a really great idea for the thing. It's always either in the shower or in the gym for me. <laughs> One of the two shower moments. So, you know, more of those kinds of moments happen. And um and yeah, I mean, the thing just keeps building the more you work on it, the more you explore ideas. Actually, this Fortune High's development happened pretty fast. Like, it went from little blob of an idea to a more of a thing between the months of about, I want to say June of 2012 to about September. Like September is when I started doing all of the artwork that you would see in, uh, in the making of Misfortune Hive. It really is just about exploring the ideas and, and keep pushing things. And maybe if some people don't uh, see potential in certain things, again, you know, maybe you can just say, well, I don't really buy that. I, I think there is potential and you can develop into, into a bigger, more substantial thing. Mm -hmm. Now, also, there are also like additional inspirations in the design of Misfortune High. Um, say, for instance, like with the the logo and um, and with like the actual um, characters, and as far as color style goes, there was there was the um, mention of the Jet Set Radio of Jet things like Jet Set Radio, uh, Jamie Hewlett, um, Jamie Hewlett design, especially like his Gorillas artwork. How much yeah. of that um, was mixed into the creation of uh, Misfortune High? Oh, pretty good amount, I guess, because the thing with this Fortune High is that I wanted it to artistically be a different animal than Valkyrie was. I mean, it, it's a new thing, so it has to look like a new thing, right? If I just keep putting out the same stuff, people are just going to think, oh, you're a one-trick pony, Jules. Put it away. Stop that. So uh, so I wanted to start drawing inspiration from different places that I normally wouldn't have thought of before. Um, a friend of mine had come to visit me and stay with me for a couple of days, so she brings up, well, hey, how, how about you uh, you know, draw some inspiration from like the, the gorillas? And I was like, oh, my God, she's totally right. This is a great idea. So, you know, again, more people throw ideas into the pod and, you know, just more stuff can get added. That'll make things just so much cooler. Before we talk about the uh, Misfortune High uh, 2 Kickstarter, I also want to talk about your coloring process. 
because you know I you know I've seen your artistic style in Valkyrie Squadron. I've seen your artistic style here in Misfortune High. It's two different it's two different styles, but the one thing that really stands out for me is that um there is a like a watercolor or digital marker type style as far as like the, the um the coloring goes. Now, how long of a process did it take for you to develop that style for this book? Well, I don't think it took me a huge amount of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was originally going to just color the book the same as I had done with Valkyrie, but uh, a suggestion that I had gotten from somebody who had seen my my original concept sketches, they're like, oh my gosh, these markers, they look really nice. You know, uh, why don't we, are are you going to shade the book like that? And I hadn't thought about doing it that way, but I thought, oh, that would be really interesting. But there's certain logistical challenges you have to meet whenever you're trying to make a project look a certain way, mm-hmm. but still digitally functional for when it comes time to, you know, go into production. So I think I took a night or so to uh, just mess around with the art style and just see how can I get a markered look into a book that has to get uh, digitally flatted. And, you know, I mean, was I going to do digital flat colors? Was I going to do digital markers? Like I had explored doing digital markers and it just didn't work because most of the brushes that I found, they just looked too, um, they looked too digital. They looked too mechanical. They didn't look like it was, uh, you know, like a nice flowing natural media. And I had found uh my really super old copy of Painter from like 10 years ago could do watercolors pretty well, but this wasn't a watercolor project. It needed to have a, like an uglier, rougher look to it. Ugly isn't the word, just rough, <laughs> but just not super polished, I guess is the word I'm looking for. So, um, so I decided, okay, well, there's got to be a way I can incorporate markers into the digital process because I'm not coloring on my ink boards. My ink boards are actually um, printed blue pencil on top of Bristol. So coloring that is out because it's going to have blue ink all over it in, in the first place. So, um, so I thought, wait, I had recently taken some art classes that incorporated vellum, and I noticed that the vellum looked really, you know, markers can play really, um, can do really interesting things with vellum. Like, wait a minute, what if I color, put the marker shading in vellum, but uh, otherwise do the flats digitally? That would save me a whole mint in terms of coloring a page all in marker, because let's say you have a page, like a panel with blue sky. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just going to eat through all your marker ink. Yeah. That's too good. Yeah. So, um, so... The coloring of Misfortune High is a marriage of digital, which is digital flatting and some digital brushwork in the end for, like, you know, certain sky effects and whatnot, and uh, natural media, wherein I do all my marker shading on these vellum sheets that I just place right on top of the original ink board. Hmm. Wow. So you got to put a piece of transparency in between, otherwise it might bleed on your ink board and make, mess it up, but... Uh, but yeah, so no, that's a really cool process um, because uh, seriously, that that is because I, it's, it's just a nice blend when when I because like I've read I've read Misfortune High a few times, uh, a few times you know before this recording and it's, it's cool because there's just sometimes like I, I was trying to guess because I I didn't really start reading the making of until yesterday. And I would just kept trying to get some. Okay, did she use markers for this whole page here? Or okay, no, no, that's digital. And like, I just kept really getting into the process. And now that you told me, that's that's really cool. That's it's it's quite ingenious. Yeah, I, I think it works out really nicely. And uh, 
some people have said like, wow, there are really not that many books out there that, that make use of this kind of stuff. It's really neat. So, uh, you know, it's gotten a really good reception so far. A lot of people like it. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it. It's kind of given Miss Fortune High that rough, sketchy look that I wanted it to to have. Because the whole reason behind rough and sketchy was that it's supposed to look like it came out of a kid's notebook. Yeah. Oh, no. That, so, oh, yeah. So that was part of the reason for, for the stylization. Mm -hmm. So I think it worked out really well, and uh, a lot of people are responding to it, and it's it's pretty cool stuff. A lot of the like the coloring, as far as like you know the the watercolors, and the the look of it, the water like the colors remind me of when I was a kid, um, in the eighties and early nineties. There used to be there used to be this company called Now Comics. And now comics, they used to publish, uh, like, uh, they published, like, their own Speed Racer books, uh, the real Ghostbusters, they had Astro Boy, and they had a, and they also had a few creator-owned properties as well. But color-wise, all of the books were hand-colored, and they, and it was, a lot of it was watercolor. And I, rem and I remember that fondly, and when I was reading that, or when I was reading your book, it took me back to that time where... You know, things, everything was by hand. And, I mean, now things are still by hand. Nowadays, even if it's digital, you're still using your hands, but it's just in a different light. But it just took me back to that time, and it really made me enjoy the book even more. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad I can give you back a piece of something that uh, that was from the past and, you know, some capture some nice nostalgia there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a little bit of the old, but the thing is, like, this is new. And, and that's what I like about it. It's 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 new and and that's good. It's not it's not the same because we have a lot of the same out there. And this is new. And this is why I, that's why I, I enjoy it so much. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's go ahead and talk about this second Kickstarter um, that you're doing for your second uh, Misfortune High book. Uh, the first Misfortune High, I'm trying to remember the total you're trying to raise. Was it like three thousand dollars for the first for the first book, or at the time it was three thousand, okay. which I realized was kind of an undershoot in terms of the stuff I would eventually need. I did the rookie. I did the rookie mistake, and I undershot for shipping. Just a pro tip, guys: if you plan on budgeting for your Kickstarter and um, you need to plan out your shipping budget, good rule of thumb is 15% on top of whatever your overall costs are is shipping. Mm. It's about 15%. Okay. I, I, I've worked the numbers. So um, if you have physical packages to send, because overseas... Oh, that'll knock you on your butt. Oh, yeah. overseas is brutal. Yeah, it's it's awful. Like trying to send stuff to Australia, the UK. Oh. Um, it, it's it's enough to make you lose your mind. I I know that for personal for I know that for a personal fact in dealing with um the frac the fracture Kickstarter for Action Lab. You know, oh, right. you know it's yeah it's a beast because you just think oh I'm just going to take this to the post office. I'm like hey I got to mail this. Well, yeah, it's it's more expensive to ship overseas, but then there's the additional paperwork to, just to ship something overseas, so which is also an additional pain in the butt. Ooh, that's not fun. Yeah, um, I got a bit lucky though. A friend of mine, Tyler James, he'd give me a good piece of advice, and like, well, it wasn't just me; it was everybody because he wrote a blog about it. And uh, good advice that he offered was just get Indicia, which is. Um, in online software you can download for free your it's a monthly fee of $15 but oh my god that $15 is a sanity tax totally pay it oh really 
Yes, yes, it's it's definitely a good idea because um, it, it does all of the... It, basically, working with it helps you figure out, oh, okay, what's going to be a good... Uh, I mean, what kind of shipping class am I going to use for these packages? What, How much is that going to cost? It does all those calculations for you. So it takes a lot of the thought process out of it. Because a lot of people don't know the difference between media mail, first class mail, what are the restrictions on it. So the software helps you figure it out. You figure it out real quick. You're like, oh, I can't send that first class or I can't send that priority. It's too heavy or too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Nice. So yeah, if, you, if you're planning on a, doing a Kickstarter and you're planning on doing shipping, certainly consider getting a D-show. Um, because it will help you save your sanity. And the first 30 days are free. So hmm. cool. there's that too. Very, very cool. I'm, so, I'm taking um, notes myself right now. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to your question of, uh, you know, how much I asked for the Kickstarter, it was $3,000 initially, but I kind of didn't know um, what it was going to turn into when I had first uh, started the planning of the whole thing. Um I, I, yeah, I just seriously kind of didn't know what I was doing. I was like, uh, I think it's going to be 3000 Yeah, because... <laughs> Um, at the time, I didn't know what kind of upgrades I was going to add to the book. I thought, oh, I'm going to do your spot UV gloss or whatever, which is what everybody does. But then I got, like, partway through the campaign. This, I mean, the campaign really is a living creature. It's it's not a thing that just stays static and you're promoting it for a month. No, it, it grows and changes. It can turn into a whole different thing. So um, what happened was I got the idea, well, hey, maybe I could do foil stamping for the cover. Because I needed ideas for stretch goals, and uh, I was improvising this kind of uh, on the fly. Like, hey, maybe the foil stamping would be kind of a cool stretch goal. Yeah. So eventually, um, we raised more money. The ultimate price, uh, the ultimate cost we ended up raising was thirty nine hundred dollars, thirty nine twelve. That's the number I have etched into my memory. So, um, so with that, we were able to get the full thousand unit print run printed with these foil stamped covers. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, did the perfect binding and the foil stamping is going to up the cost of the book. That's just the way it is. It's, it's just, that's just how it's going to be. But it makes for a really nice presentation. Right. Like, people see these books and they're like, whoa, this is way fancier than your average floppy because it's got this shiny cover and it's perfect bound. And it's also matte. It's actually printed on matte paper. Ooh. Yeah, so instead of gloss, because I knew the gloss was going to fight with the foil stamping, and I had this conversation with my uh, my Print Ninja representative, Ashley. She's been, she was absolutely lovely. Um, she said, yeah, you might want to go with the satin or the, the semi-gloss. Wait, no, matte, matte. I'm thinking of paint. <laughs> go with the uh, matte stock for the cover. That way the shiny part will look really shiny. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, just... In setting up the Kickstarter, it, it'll grow and turn into a whole other thing with more ideas that you build into it. It's just like the story itself. Um, did that, does that answer the question? Yeah, no, it sure does. It, yeah, it, okay, it, great. <laughs> it does. Now, your second Kickstarter is, you know, is up and running uh, as of this recording. It's up and running. As of this recording, it'll be up and running, yes. Yes. Now, how much are you trying to raise for this one and what kind of incentives or rewards do you have for this Kickstarter that are different than the first one for Misfortune High? Okay, well, the goal is $4,000, and that's actually to kind of mirror the 3900 we raised last time, because that's about how much the uh, the special books cost with the foil stamping and the matte cover and blah, blah, blah. Um, this time around, the, the rewards are going to be a bit different. Um, I am offering more digital options, uh, you know, just to, um, you know, because a lot of people, they like commissions, but 
Um, the digital commission thing last time was pretty high. So if you just want a small digital commission for me, then, um, then, you know, we can work it out. Cause again, shipping overseas is not fun. So a lot of people like the idea of a quickie little digital commission, but, uh, but they want to pay too much for it. So there's that I'm working in more merch, um, meaning I'm adding buttons, I'm adding pencil bags. Um, one of the stretch goals, and this is, um, this isn't quite announced yet, but you guys are going to hear it first. One of the stretch goals is plan to uh, add charms for uh, every person who uh, gets a physical package. You get a charm to go with it. So it's just this little one and a half inch charm, and they're really, really cute. And, you know, they have these cutesy little chibi designs, and they're very, very nice. But that's a stretch goal for later on. We'll also add, like, stickers and whatnot. And, again, it's a... It's a living thing, so I may come up with even better ideas down the road as to as to what to add for the stretch goals. Unlike the stretch goals for last time, it's not going to be about upgrading the outside of the book. It's also going to be about upgrading the inside of the book. So another stretch goal, probably one of the very first stretch goals, actually, that uh, we're going to aim for is to add a 10-page short story um, kind of showing the uh, more backstory of Johnny Cuervo a little bit. Because to understand Biscuit's plight, you kind of, I mean, the two characters, both Biscuit and Johnny, they're always at odds with one another, hero, anti-hero. So uh, you get the uh, extra 10-page story about Johnny in there, and that's going to be really cool, too. It's all pretty much done. It just needs to get colored. Uh, What else? Oh, I'm adding the option to, uh, if you want to commission me to draw your comic book cover, then that's going to be there, too. What else? Um, oh, 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 I think this is the biggest one. Uh, I'm offering up bundles of comics with my affiliate artists. See, um, I got the idea from seeing Tyler James's uh, epic uh, Kickstarter that he did. It's called epic. That's not, I'm not describing the Kickstarter. It was really epic. I mean, it was epic, but uh, the name of the pro- comic is epic. And what he does is he actually offers books that have uh, other artists' uh, artwork. Like Joe, like the one that sticks out to me was uh, Joe Eisman's Morning Glories. He draws a character from, um, from Epic in the copy of Morning Glories and bundles that along with the rest of the project. So I thought, oh, wow, maybe I could do that. So I asked a bunch of my friends who are also doing comics. I asked them, hey, would you be interested in um, selling me a couple of your books to incorporate into this Kickstarter? And it'll be like a cross-marketing thing. So I looked around for other comics that have similar themes, like um, Snow Days has the theme of life as a uh, you know young Latino in uh, it's not actually it's not really the ghetto but you know just kind of that young Latino coming of age story that's what Snow Days is all about Amya obviously has the fantasy element gutter magic has uh, you know obviously the magic element and uh, a couple of others so uh, we're offering comic bundles bundling up Misfortune High with a whole bunch of all that other stuff too so you get lots and lots and lots of comics for your money because yeah. that was the biggest button that everybody wanted to push. Everybody loved the idea of getting more comics with Just Misfortune High because I offered all three books for Valkyrie Squadron along with the uh, the last Kickstarter and it was just kind of bleh, you know, mm-hmm. like just kind of thing. I don't think anybody really uh, it wasn't really that big a deal right. but uh, a lot of people jumped on it. A lot more people than I expected. I just thought I was going to get my old Valkyrie fans but nope. Mm-hmm. It, it was definitely a lot bigger and uh, a lot more demand than that. So oh, yeah. when people want people want comics i'll give you some comics <laughs> yes anytime you can offer some uh, offer a lot of something for you know for a decent reward price people will just gobble it up yeah people love comics so i'm gonna give you all the comics you can handle and then some 
all of it. All right. It's going to end April 11th. Okay. Because um, I, I last time I did 40 days and whew, that was grueling. So I wanted to keep it a lot closer to 30 days this time. So it's going to be about 30 days and uh, April 11th. Midnight, April 11th. Sorry, 11.59 p.m. is when the Kickstarter ends on April 11th. 4.11. It's the 411, y'all. What's <laughs> 411? So, yeah, that's, that'll help you remember. All right. Get the 411 on the Misfortune High before it's out. One, the, the last thing that I would like to talk to you about regarding Misfortune High also deals with you, um, you know, being a, you know, being in a um, freelance artist is that you yes. also have your hands still, uh, <clears throat> sorry, tongue tied. You also have your hands steeped in animation. And I, oh yes, I do. Yes, and I um, recall in your Kickstarter that um, if you like, uh, if you uh, hit some stretch, <clears throat> once you hit certain stretch goals, you will put out little animations of some of your characters. And this isn't just a basic, generic uh, GIF or GIF, however you wish to pronounce it. This was a full fledged, you know, you know, animation of like one of your characters dancing. I want to say, was it Sonia? Sonia was the first one that I had dancing. No, wait. The very first one I had dancing was Biscuit. Okay. Biscuit was the first one that I had dancing. Then it was Sonia. And then I did a small thing with Johnny Cuervo. And then I got bowled over by the rest of the last Kickstarter. <laughs> so with this one around, I could just have more characters dancing. But they're full. They're, uh, you know, keyframed flash animations. Yes. How long have you been interested in animation as far as you doing it and creating it? And um, how long of a process did it take for you to get the hang of it? Well, animation. Wow. Um. I I kind of stumbled into animation to be honest. I uh I was uh I had gone I had left my old engineering job. I'd gone back to art school and one of the classes I just happened to take on a whim. I just happened to see that the school offered principles of animation. So I said, "Oh, hey, this will be kind of a cool thing to take. I could take an animation class." I didn't think I was going to go anywhere because I just thought it was a silly elective that was just thrown into my core just because. Um, but as it turns out, I, I found myself really liking animation, and um, I actually ended up getting a job in uh, doing some animations for ADHD on uh, on the Lucas Brothers Moving Company. So that it was just for the pilot, so it wasn't like a humongous job. But I've I really started to find that oh my gosh, I really like animating stuff. It's like finding out you have a superpower, you know? Like oh my gosh, I can animate. I can make, take this picture and make it move and look really cool. And actually, um, you know, I I actually incorporated some animations into the Misfortune High Kickstarter video number two, not so much number one, but number two. I'm incorporating some animations just to kind of show these characters kind of more alive and get more people excited about the project. Because it's one thing if you see comic frames; those are cool. When you see like moving animations, that makes you go, "Whoa! This is gonna be really, really cool." Yes. So, uh, so yeah, I just I kind of slipped on a banana peel and ended up starting to animate last year. Um, I had not really, I haven't really been doing it for longer than maybe a year and change, but I think what helps me along is that I, um, I have been doing sequential art for a really, really long time, like 10 years or something. So it wasn't that much harder to figure out, okay, well, 
I draw XYZ um, sequence of pictures to tell the story. Well, to make this thing animate, I just have to draw XYZ sequences of images. And learning timing and whatnot is really key. So if you've been doing sequential art for a really long time, the jump is actually not that bad. But I guess if you're, you know, if you're just starting out, then um, definitely learn how to hammer down your foundations first and learn how to get figure drawing down and everything. And then the animation part is really not that hard. It's really all about timing. Timing is so, so, so key. Yeah, that is a lot. And I know, like I said, for you, that, you know, that was, and I shouldn't say it was nothing because it was definitely something, but still to like to the average person that has never dealt with animation before and they only see art that's that's still a lot but that's really awesome though and, I, and i'm glad that you have um added something else to your plate because it's something that you know that, that you're really good at and you're going to continue to grow at it and get even better with it and do even more with it so it's you know it's just something else to add to your repertoire so that's awesome yeah yeah and a lot of people really respond to it like i'll throw a little clip that i do on instagram and everyone's like oh my god this is so so yeah i mean a bunch of stuff that i've done from this fortune high video for this kickstarter it's, it's going to my demo reel so you know nice. all, I know, all the work that i've done here could bear well get me more work so hey. hey, no that's a good thing it's a good thing so yeah do that do that all right well before before we close this interview um i need you to tell the people where they can find you on the internet where can you find me on the internet okay well a good place to start is my uh um, my Twitter page is just at Jules Rivera. You can find me there. You can find me at uh, on my portfolio site, www.julesrivera.com. You can see all of the pretty little pictures that I draw, and uh, my contact information is there. What else? Um, on my Facebook, I'm jules.rivera.art. Um, Miss Fortune High has a Tumblr page, so if you just go to Miss Fortune High, uh, just misfortunehigh.tumblr.com that's what it is you go there then you'll pretty much get to see the production blog for Miss Fortune High so you know you'll all of the uh, bonus sketches that I'm, I've been posting for the uh, for the campaign you'll get to see them there what else um, oh yeah I have my own Tumblr as well just for me julesharder.tumblr.com uh, oh yeah I think that covers all the bases I'm everywhere I'm easy to find here we go excellent well, cool. Well, listen, Jules, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to do this interview and, you know, good luck with your Kickstarter. And, you know, hey, I hope you I hope you blast through that goal. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> well, my fingers are crossed for you, but um, good luck. And I hope to have you back on the show soon. Awesome. Yeah. Anytime. And that concludes this week's Black Box. The Black Box is a member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at HHWLOD.com, where you can download previous episodes of this podcast, as well as Donnie Salvo's Tales from the Attic and John Carroll's The Carroll Chronicles. This podcast is also available on iTunes. The Black Box is also a member of the Comics Podcast Network. If you're on iTunes or the Forum for Geeks board, feel free to leave us a comment. You can also reach the podcast at blackboxpodcast1 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next episode, dream big, hustle hard, and never stop.